This is The Blueprint, brought to you by Executive Platforms. Well, hello again, everyone. You're listening to another episode of Executive Platform's Blueprint podcast series. My name is Jeff Mix. I'm head of content and research. And my guest today is Dr. Madhav Durba. Uh, he is the vice president of supply chain strategy with Coupa Software. And we're going to be talking about um, designing a resilient and sustainable supply chain. Uh, I had the pleasure of uh, watching some of Dr. Durba's workshop yesterday. I think this is going to be a fantastic conversation. Uh, Madhav, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Jeff, for having me here. Let's get right into it. What is the state of current supply chains and how is the supply chain agenda evolving? The state of the current supply chains, if you think about it, we are simultaneously dealing with a whole set of challenges. There is the demand patterns that are changing because of consumption behaviors changing. There are raw material constraints. There are capacity constraints at production and distribution centers and transportation rates are highly unpredictable and lead times are highly unpredictable as well. I spent 25 years in supply chain and one or two of these problems happening at any point in time was common, but what we had seen in the last two years is all these problems coming together at the same time is really stress testing our supply chains. That's the state right now. I feel like what we're talking about is like challenges and headwinds, and I, I really want to explore that. You know, what challenges do you feel companies are facing when they build resilience and sustainability into their supply chains? A couple of challenges. One is the hyperinflationary environment that we are going through right now. It is applying more cost pressures on organizations. So in an environment where costs are under costs are constrained, organizations need to still continue to build resiliency. How do they need to do it? They need to do it through building optionality into their supply chain. Optionality into having multiple sources of supply, optionality in terms of having different modes of transportation, and also having optionality in terms of flow paths to the market as well. As you build these, you need to plan for redundancies in your supply chain, but you need to do that when the cost pressures are escalating. In conjunction with that is there is increasing regulatory scrutiny on sustainability and ESG priorities. So organizations have to continue to push the envelope on the cost front, providing the service and uh, carrying the appropriate inventory levels, but also balance risk and sustainability. So having all these balls up in the air at the same time is what makes supply chain managers and supply chain leaders jobs a lot more challenging now. And not to add to that collection of balls in the air, but of course, if we're going to be talking about sustainability, you know, I'd also be interested in talking about the role of changing regulation, uh, especially as it involves sustainability. Could you expand upon that? Sure. If you look at uh, recent government acts, you look at German Supply Chain Act, for example, where companies doing business in Germany are going to be held accountable for their suppliers' actions and suppliers' suppliers' actions. Say somebody is engaging in child labor, somebody is engaging in environmentally unsustainable practices, the companies can face punitive damages. Also, if you look at the recent Inflation Reduction Act that the US government has passed, one of the provisions is around environmental justice. So there is going to be increased pressure from that standpoint as well. And last but not the least, SEC is going to mandate as opposed to voluntary disclosures about companies' progress towards ESG goals, especially publicly traded companies that state these goals publicly. 
will need to show measurable progress that stands the test of audit as well. So these are some things that I'm seeing from a regulatory standpoint. And with all of this coming, I mean, what should organizations be doing to prepare? So I talked about balancing these multiple objectives simultaneously and how that is making supply chain leaders' jobs challenging. The answer can be found in one way of looking at this is looking at your supply chain design. Supply chain design helps you balance these multiple objectives simultaneously and optimize your supply chain to achieving the overall objectives of your business. The way I've seen organizations go through this journey is that first of all, they're building these end-to-end -end models of their supply chains, like the digital models of their physical supply chain or what we refer to as the digital twins. So that is becoming a dominant way in which think of that almost like a flight simulator for supply chain, right? Before you make any major decision, you want to test it out through the simulator and make sure you understand what are the different conditions to which you can subject your supply chain to and how it responds. So that's where supply chain design becomes extremely important. So you can comprehensively look at your nodes of the network, how well are they placed, your modes of transportation, are they suited to provide you with the best options in terms of meeting your customer expectations and flow paths to the market as well. So identifying and designing all these is what you do as part of that supply chain design. You know, I love talking about supply chain design and I can tell you're an expert in this space. Could you walk us through some of the different ways that organizations are building, designing, and improving their supply chain models? Sure. Before I get into how leading organizations are doing it, it's also important to understand where we are coming from. Traditionally, organizations approach design as a very episodic project-based exercise. They would revisit their supply chain models maybe once in a year, once in two years, make sure the supply chain is still designing and functioning as it is intended to and move on, right? But the world is changing too rapidly around us right now. We talked about regulation, we talked about changing consumer behaviors, we are talking about all these simultaneous constraints and the cost pressures. What it means is the supply chain design needs to be revisited a lot more frequently and needs to be flexed as the market conditions change and shift and organizations need to be far more nimble about that. So. What I'm seeing is this transition from episodic supply chain design to a continuous supply chain design model where organizations are building competencies around what we refer to as supply chain centers of excellence, wherein they're building this organizational muscle to exercise on an ongoing basis, how to build these models, how to test out the models through different scenarios and plan for a variety of contingencies. So that's where I see the supply chain design discipline evolving. Now, when I hear centers of excellence, I have to assume there are people involved in that. And we haven't talked about the people part of all this uh, yet. Let's talk about talent. Let's talk about finding who you need to do all of the supply chain planning. Sure. When it comes to finding the right talent to staff your centers of excellence, organizations take multiple approaches. So one thing that they do is nurture strong university relationships and university partnerships. For example, there are programs in business schools as well as industrial engineering curriculum as well, where supply chain design is being taught as a course. And these universities partner with organizations such as Coupa to not only teach the theory of it, but take some of our technology and help students build 
these supply chain models and design supply chains. So catching the talent young and early through the university programs is one approach. Other approach is promote within. You will need to find these people with strong aptitude towards advanced analytics and optimization technologies within your organization, provide them an opportunity through center of excellence and bring these like-talented, like-minded people together as part of the center of excellence so they become part of the broader ecosystem and become a cohort. So that is going to be another way of doing this, right? So inbred talent and nurturing them, bringing them together and promoting them. Last but not the least, network. You know, this kind of talent does not have to come from your own industry. Sometimes there are advantages to cross-pollinate. Hire somebody with background in a completely different industry vertical as well. So network through different forums, different conferences you go to, identify the talent in other organizations and who would best serve your organization needs and attract the talent as well. And uh, last but not the least, providing them a voice in the organization. You as the leader of the center of excellence and your executive sponsors will need to help elevate the roles of this talent so that they see gratification in what they do and they see the value they bring to the organization. So these are some ways I've seen best performing centers of excellence operate. You know, we've already covered a lot of ground here. And before I let you go, I really do want to circle back and, and maybe get some bullet points for people. What would you say are critical success factors to making all of this work? First of all, it is people and executive sponsorship. Making sure that you have a strong sponsorship from your chief supply chain officer or a very senior leader in the company is going to be extremely important. The second thing is people aspect. You know, we can't undermine that. The talent to do this, as well as the talent to serve as the bridge between building models is one thing, but translating that to business speak, making sure that the business teams understand that is a, is a very important skill set as well. And then the third thing is to make sure from a technology standpoint, there is a solid data foundation. We are talking about build, building these digital twins and end-to-end -end models of the supply chain. The data could come from multiple sources, but it is very important to have that common uh, data foundation that is laid from which you can tap in and build these models. Last but not the least is democratizing the intelligence to the broader organization. Like I said, these kind of skill sets are not very easy to come by. So how do you scale that organization, right? You need to leverage technology to democratize these decisions that design technology can drive to tens or hundreds of business users across your enterprise through simple to use apps, call them applications or call them visualizations and means through which people can access and drive day-to-day -day decisions. Those are all essential ingredients in making this effort very successful and sustainable. You know, there is so much to talk about in this space, and I can see what a, a resource you must be to companies that are working on this. You know, what should organizations do if they want to learn more about all of this? Visit Cooper.com, and uh, we have plenty of resources there, some ebooks and white papers that go into more details about what we mean by this continuous supply chain design. But also connect with me on LinkedIn, and uh, I'd be happy to share more information. Well, Matt, it's been fantastic speaking about supply chain design with you and uh, Centers of Excellence, I think, is going to become one of those 
cross industry terms that we're just going to hear more and more. And I know uh, Coupa is a big part of making that happen. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Jeff, for having me and uh, allowing me to share my thoughts today. You've been listening to another episode of Executive Platform's Blueprint Podcast Series. I've been Jeff Nix. Let's do it again soon.